Last week I forgot to chant the Namaskar before I began. And the good gentleman kindly came and reminded me at the end. So I don't want to make the same mistake twice. So before I forget, again, why don't we do that first? Namo tasse bhagavato arehato samma sambuddhasse Namo tasse bhagavato arehato samma sambuddhasse Namo tasse bhagavato arehato samma sambuddhasse As I said last week, one of the issues I have is that I don't feel that the morning sermon and this sermon are separate ones. That's a real problem. It's quite the challenge. Yes, I am conscious that you were all there in the morning, so I don't want to just, you know, give you a copy and paste job from this morning. At the same time, there are people who will be listening to this, who this sermon is intended for, who will not have heard a word of what I've said in the morning, or even if they did, they won't understand. Yeah, so I find myself on the horns of a dilemma. Should I do, shouldn't I do? Damn if you do, damn if you don't. Right. Anyhow, let's find a way forward and do the best we can. Right. So we have some young members of the audience today as well. How old are you though? Does she know how old she is? Eight. Right. Thank you. Thank you for coming. <coughs> Eight. Nine, ten, nine, two, thirteen, fourteen. <laughs> Why? What? <laughs> what are you laughing about? I just counted the difference between eight and fourteen. <laughs> okay. Mm. I promised you last week that I would explain to you how this insanity mode comes on, what causes it. I'm, well, I can't assume that I was going to say, I'm, I'm going to assume because I see some new faces here as well. So I think what I'll do is just do a quick whistle-stop tour of what we've discussed so far because we have the good fortune of having an eight-year-old in the house today. So it is my duty to make sure that you all walk away 
with plenty of gifts and uh, something to have uh, furthered you on the path. Yeah. Right. Let's get to it then. <clears throat> Let's quickly recap what we understand about the world we live in. We know that we as human beings, when we say we live, what we do is we experience the world around us. Okay. So when you say I've lived for 40 years, and you say I have 40 years worth of experience of living, what you're saying is, for 40 years, I have gone through this experience that is life. And in these 40 years, you've only done one of six things. Either you've seen something, or you've heard something. That's in here, by the way. You've smelled something. You've tasted something. You've felt something. That's a hand. or you've thought something. It doesn't that, it's just, it's just <laughs> symbolic, okay? That's not what a thought looks like. The thought does not have a form, so I can't draw it on the board, so I'm going to have to use a symbol to represent it. So when you say I've lived for 40 years, one of these things has always happened incessantly for a period of 40 years. Right? In no particular order, though. So you can't predetermine an order. It could be one of this, two of these, one of this, three of these, ten of these, five of these, a million of these, five billion of these, and so on. Okay? It's the totality of all of these over a period of 40 years, right? Is what you say, I have lived for, for 40 years and this is my life. And you can, there's such a thing called a memory bank. And whenever you go through one of these things, you put a log note. There's a log note that goes into your memory. The log note can only be accessed by this. Okay? So it puts in and it takes out. So all of these experiences, they have to go via this into this. And then when they come back out, again, it's through that. So this is the mind that we're talking about, right? So we know this. What we may not know is that we haven't actually seen the things that have been put in front of our eyes. Now, that will sound really weird, but bear with me. You've not really heard the sounds that were projected to your ears. You haven't really smelled the things that were put in front of your nose. What do you think that looks like? Incense? Okay, I'll, I'll give you that one. It was meant to be a bottle of perfume, but okay. <laughs> Actually, I, I like that, an incense stick. I'm going to update my syllabus, my lesson plan. No, it looks more like a tree. <laughs> okay, that's an incense stick, okay? 
let's put two or three in there, right? That's an incense stick. Taste. Yeah, of course. What else? And uh, I don't know. What do we normally go for? Touch? A bat? Oh, let's put a bat. So, bear with me while I say, although these are the objects that have been put in front of your five sense doors, they are not what you have really perceived. Because the mind is not sensitive to light. You know this from your biology lessons. What is sensitive to light? What is the physiological, anatomical part that is sensitive to light? The eye. Or in more precisely, the retina. That is the bit that's sensitive to light, yeah? So there's a bit in the back of your eye which detects light rays, okay? That's how you know there's a light on here. So, you know, it's the sun. It emits light. It's a light source, a natural light source. And that sheds light. And that light is reflected. You know, this is old school stuff. Most of you know this onto the retina and sound is just compression and decompressions of air okay that's why you need a medium to be able to listen without a medium there's no sound because these are compressions this as we've talked about are micro receptors in your nostrils and they have particular shapes to which certain molecules are able to Fit. So they are complementary, right? A receptor of that shape will only be receptive to a molecule of this shape. So something like that will not fit. Okay, so they have to be complementary. And the same goes for smell, uh, beg your pardon, for, for taste. Although the last time I checked, I think the scientists are still trying to work out how taste exactly occurs at the at the tip of the tongue. So they're still trying to work that out. But, you know, I think we've, we've got enough to, to go with. And then finally, touch. There are multiple receptors on your, on your skin, right? There are heat receptors and pain receptors and touch receptors, right? There are multiple receptors. But what you, mo most of you will know this, that beyond these sense doors, All of this is simply an electrical signal. This is like a lightning, lightning bolt. Okay, I'm drawing here to represent an electrical signal. Okay, so therefore, right at this point, this is so abstract from any of these things. It's no longer light, neither is it sound, nor smell, nor taste, nor touch. It's simply an electrical signal. So you don't even need to go get as far as the mind to understand the concept that you have not really seen the outside world. Yeah, you've not really seen this. This is not something you can see. I'm holding it. Can you see this? Can you see what I'm talking about? Yeah, you can't see this. Yeah, you see what I'm talking about? You can't see it. So you need to understand what's going on here to be able to appreciate what I'm talking about. 
These electrical signals, they travel to this fantastic organ called the brain. And from there on, some magic happens, which we still don't fully understand, which converts these electrical impulses to a code. So it encodes these electrical signals to a message that the mind can perceive. The mind can do what? Perceive. That is the job of the mind, to perceive. We've talked about the five things that the mind is capable of doing, right? Can you remind them what they are? Remind me? Receive. Register. Recognize. Respond. And perceive. These five things the mind is capable of doing. So to, all of this is to get to this point. So as you can see, this is a process. All of this is like, you know, you cook so you can eat. This is cooking so you can eat, right? So all of this is to get to this. So initially, the first thing you ought to do is to receive it. And that's what happens when the brain goes and drops it. In some code of, some, some, code of, some type of code. And once it receives it, it registers that something has been received. Something. The best analogy I can offer you in this day and age is your mobile phone. When you receive a text message, you're alerted. There's a notification, right? But that doesn't tell you who it's from or what the contents of the message are. It just tells you you've received a message. That is registering it. So there'd be a log note on, the, on your mobile phone. If there's a log that takes place behind the scenes, there'll be a log to say message received. Then you can recognize it. How? By picking up your phone, looking at who the sender is, who's a contact, and then you can uh, read it. You read your text message. Therefore, you recognize. Next, you work out what to do with it. So to be fair, you can also think of reading the message as your response to it because you know when you receive an alert that if you know that it's a text message the next thing you know is to do what with it hmm? read it right read it and then you can choose to reply to it these are all responses all of these things together help you to perceive that it's a text message and what that message is who it's from so the entire picture so you'll understand, ladies and gentlemen, that without this perception, we can't survive in this world. In other words, actually, that's all we've been doing this far. So I need to rephrase what I said right at the beginning. 40 years of your life, you haven't really been doing all of these things. What you've really been doing is just this. You've been perceiving this world. Because your perception occurs in the mind and it is with the mind that you know stuff is happening outside things are going on without the mind you'd be none the wiser because it would just be a body just a mass right the mind allows you to use these five sense doors so who's the slave who's the master who do you think is the slave who's the master mind is the master these ones are the slaves because they work on behalf of the mind. Yeah, your eye works on behalf of the mind. Why do I say that? Who wants to perceive? The mind wants to perceive. 
the mind wants to perceive. And for that perception to happen, a certain series of things have to happen. So you see, if you retrace your steps back from the mind, before this should have happened, that should have happened. Where is that? That should have happened. Before that should have happened, that should have happened. For that should to have happened, that should have happened. Right? For that to have happened, this should have been open to allow stimuli to come from the outside. So do you see, this is a process. That's the end-to-end -end process. Draw that again. I'm here, 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 and there. Where is that? Oh, here. Yes. So that, that is a log entry to say something's happened. This is how you can remember things of the past. And the same goes on here. Yeah, 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 and so on. The mind also can do this. So it can, you know, at its own will, drop into memory and take out fragments of memory and do the same process. But of course, it doesn't need to go through the, the brain, although some schools of thought imply that the brain is necessary for memory to take place. I think we are still investigating that. But let's, let's say, yes, okay, without your brain, you can't access your memory. Okay, we're we okay with that for now. So it uses the brain to dip into memory and then back into the mind, and that's how that works. Now, the reason I'm telling you all this, again, is not to educate you on the workings of the human body, its anatomy or the physiology or the biology. That's not what this is for. It's simply to first get you to understand, help you understand what this life is, has been all about. We talk about our life experiences. We talk about, I've done this, I've done that, I tend to do this, right? And I've been doing this for so long. I've enjoyed my life. I've had a good life, right? Life has been kind to me. Some people say life has been unkind to me. Others might say, really what's been going on is you've been perceiving things. Or instead, to be more precise, the mind has been perceiving things. That's all that's been going on. So much so that I think we talked about this last week, just to prove, right, to really prove the point that you have never tasted cake. If there's a bit of your brain that is connected to the tongue, if I were to rewire this, right, cut this bit off and connect it to the bit that is sensitive to, say, smell, when I use a piece of touch a piece of cake on, your, on the tip of your tongue, you'll begin to smell things. If I were to rewire it to the back of your brain where you have the bit that is responsive to light or sight, when I touch your tongue with a piece of cake, you'll start to see things. Now, isn't that plenty proof that it wasn't this that you experienced all along? Hmm? How can cake smell like incense? But this is technically possible. I don't know if anyone's ever attempted it, but having said that, I know some people who are, um, who are blind. Science has allowed advances in te and technology has made it possible for people to, within inverted commas, see. Because science and engineering has helped people to do stuff with this brain and the nervous system and the this, this amazing body to put, a, put some sound, 
generate some sound in close proximity to one's ear and this blind person sees something. If they don't see, you know, bodies and human beings like you and I can, but you know, like when you close your eyes and you look at a, a light source, you see something, right? It's brightness. You see some brightness or like when you get you when you hit your head somewhere or say you you know, have a fall or you knock, knock your head somewhere, you see a, a, a flash of brightness. That is now possible in the lab. And therefore, when, for example, the mother, say uh, an infant, they are hard of, um, sorry, they are, they're blind, the infant is blind, they've been diagnosed that, but the science has allowed human beings to be able to see again. How so? The mother whispers in the child's ear and the baby responds. So the baby extends its arm in that direction because that's the way they wired it. So now the baby sees a flash coming from this side. So he goes, reaches out like this. And the mother is so happy because she now thinks that the baby can see. Really, all they've allowed to happen is this perception. And the same can happen in other ways. You could rewire this so that a tap on your palm, if you are deaf, for instance, you could start to hear things. And that can happen as well. So you see, now this is pretty basic stuff, right? You understand that if you rewire this gadget, this circuitry, you can get it to do all sorts of weird and wonderful things, right? The point is not that. The point is, let's take a moment to appreciate that this is what has been happening with our lives all along. So you've never really seen this flower. In fact, you don't even know what color that is. You'll tell me it's yellow. Most of you will. Most of you will tell me that's yellow. But the truth is, we don't know. I'm not saying it's not yellow. I'm not saying it's yellow. What I'm saying is we don't know. And to be honest, there is no reason for color to exist in this world. Because color is not something that is required for the world to exist. It is something that is required for the mind to separate entities. Remember when you were back at school, right? You started drawing and you got yourself a coloring box, coloring pencils, right? Weren't you so happy when you saw like 16 color pencils, 24 color pencils, 32 color pencils, right? What did we use color for? To separate things, right? It was to separate things. And, you know, say you and your sister, you had different color lunch boxes. Hmm? What do we use color for? Separate. To separate things. So therefore, color should only exist in a world where separation is necessary. Can you take a moment to you know, come to terms with that? Color is only necessary in a world where separation is necessary. Just like slippers are only necessary in a world where people walk on their feet, on a ground, where there might be thorns and stones. Yeah? Otherwise, you don't need. So, you know, if you, if you lived in a, in a house and you only lived indoors and, you know, the, the house was tiled, would you be wearing slippers? Because there would be no need for it. Air conditioners are only required in a country where it's hot. Heaters are only required in a country where it's cold. 
So then colors are only necessary in a world where separation is necessary. Because you want to be able to separate. See, this week they have a yellow flower and a white flower. And, you know, our decoration team has done a fantastic job. And next week, they want to make it, you know, they want to make a change, right? Make it, make it something different for you. Because the same thing will get you bored. Yeah, same thing, Swami Nasi. So don't you have anything else? So what they'll do is they'll just different color or they might just swap the two around. <laughs> Why? Now it was a yellow color and a white color. Now, and today, next week, it's going to be white color and yellow color. So the point I'm trying to get across here, folks, is this is a very subtle point, although it might seem like you know, it's pretty obvious. Something. Let's move on. I don't want you to be fooled that you've gotten it unless you've actually gotten it. Then it's fine. Right? But I, I can't say, I can't tell and speak on your behalf. Therefore, I'm taking, making every effort to make sure that you've grasped this concept before we move forward. Because otherwise, what will happen is this. If you don't get this properly, you'll go down this line and then end up saying, nothing exists in this world. This world is full of nothingness. In other words, you'll say this world is empty. This world is void of anything, absolutely anything. So what's the problem? That can be a very dangerous place to find yourself in. Because then what will happen is you will not work on eradicating your attachment to things. Why? Because things don't exist. <laughs> if things don't exist, why work on eradicating attachment? Hmm? Attachment to this causes suffering. Okay, good. Let's, make, let's somehow get this out of the way and keep attachment. That will be fine, right? If it were possible, that is a good approach. If it actually were possible, as in to rid the world of particles, matter, or any, you know, any of these things, if it were possible to rid the world of these things, then you can keep your attachment. No problem. Because nothing in the world would ever be anicca, dukkha, or anatta from there on. Anicca, dukkha, and anatta are problematic only to a mind which suffers from the condition of attachment and ignorance. That's why an arahant has no problem in this world. Because the arahant has rid his mind from ignorance and attachment. But the anicca, dukkha and anatta nature of the, of the world has remained just the same. But, as I'm saying, I'm, I'm very careful here, folks. And I'm glad that most of you sit in Guru Swami Nuhansi's sermon as well, because, you know, he takes quite a bit of time to explain and give you various examples. You know, I've only got an hour and a half or so. And in this time period, I need to explain something that is the most complicated. Well, it's not complicated. It's subtle. It's not hard, this. It's just subtle. It's, it's very subtle because it's never something we've heard before. We've never looked at life or tried to attempt to understand life in this way. I don't want you guys to walk away from this room thinking there is no such thing as a mother or a father. These things don't exist. You know, I don't exist. Then, because then what, you know what you'll do? You'll stop eating. No, you will. People have done that. Why? Because if there's no me to feed, and if there's no food to eat, then why should eating and feeding happen? So they stop, they stop doing it. The only reason they breathe is because they can't help themselves. Like when you begin to suffocate, you have to breathe, right? So that is the only reason they do that. 
So that's what I'm saying. This is very subtle and I want you to take, I want us to take our time with this. The reason I'm talking about this is let's make sure that what we do is perceiving the world that we live in. So color is required in a world in which separation is required. And it's only the mind that wishes to separate. Do you, do you think this saucer has any wish, need, requirement, or necessity to separate any items in this room or anything here? Hmm? Do you think it has any intention of separation? No. But what about a sieve? Do you know what a sieve is? The thing that you use to, you know, get, work your flour? Yeah? Do you think a sieve has any need to separate? Hmm? No. A sieve does not know what is what it is. A sieve does not know what it is. It's just a wire mesh attached to a piece of metal, circular. It's just an object. It doesn't know what it is. It doesn't know what its purpose is. But we use it because we want to separate. You know, when you fry your papadums, and some like it crispy. Well, I suppose everyone likes it crispy, but you like it. Some people like it a bit, you know, darker shade. Right? Have you read the book Fifty Shades of Papadam? <laughs> yeah. Good book. Fifty Shades of Papadam. Right? You want to separate your papadams. And now they come in different colors as well, don't they? Yeah, you have your green papadams and white papadams and yellow papadams. Think about it. Why does a, a plate of fried rice look more appealing to you than a plate of white rice? Think about it. Hmm? Separation. You know, the same fried rice, you could separate out the vegetables and keep them, you know, separate, right? You can have the carrots, you can have the leeks, you can have the beans, you can have the, what do you have it? Mushrooms and, uh, what do you call them? Uh, hmm? No, no, the cabbage, yeah, whatever you put into it. What is this mudras palan called? Plums, yes, plums, raisins, yeah, you can have them separate and cashew. You know, you could you could just serve yourself the white rice and have all those things separately and say, here, puta, have some fried rice. <laughs> Do you think people are going to find it appealing? No. But when you mix it all together, now you can vividly see separation in that mixture. That looks so delightful. So who do you think invented fried rice? Exactly. Exactly. So rather than use the word person, we can be more precise and say the mind which wanted separation. It's the mind that wanted separation that did that. Now look at, think about your uh, homes and maybe you have a, you know, the wall that you have around your home, right? There's a particular rendering. Like, if, like when you have like uh, stones and you put them together, they'll try and get a pattern in there, won't they? And even when you lay bricks, right? it, it's not just for stability. It's not just for that. It looks nice. When you lay it in a, in a zigzag pattern, it looks nice. All of this was separation. 
it looks nice. When you see patterns, you really like that. You enjoy it. That's why this morning we talked about the sea. Do you like a sea that is settled or do you like a sea with waves? Which one is more pleasing to the eye? Yeah. You know, for, to relax yourself, what would you go and look at? A calm sea or a sea with waves crashing against each other? What would you look at? Yeah. Because that is more appealing. That's, that's more pleasing. That's why we talked about the fish tank. And you go to, the, go to an aquarium. Or if you, if you go to the zoo. You, do you go to a zoo if there was only one animal in it? All they have was chimpanzees. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I understand. You wouldn't need to go to the zoo. You can do that from home. <laughs> I, I, I get that. But what I'm saying is, <laughs> if all they had in the zoo was one type of animal, you wouldn't go there. Because you want to see that vividness, that variety. You don't get to see that at home. That's why you go to the zoo. That's why you pay money to go there, to, see, to enjoy variety. Why do you go? people go on holidays? Variety. They want to see some difference. Why do you go to the restaurant? Because at home you get to eat the same stuff day in, day out. Right? Rice and curry, curry and rice. Rice and curry. You see, even that, you like to think that first you had rice and curry, next day you have curry and rice. Even that sounds better than rice and curry again, rice and curry again, rice and curry again, you know? <laughs> so, my point is this, folks. When you observe this world around you, there's one conclusion that you can come to. This world was built, designed, architectured by a mind that wanted separation. If you watch the film Matrix, you know that it was an, you know, it was an environment. The whole Matrix was built by a computer program. Why? Because that is the way they engineered it, so that the computer program can flourish. Right? Plugging human beings into those things so that you know they can get their energy from that. Now, this is science fiction. Don't worry about it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you don't have to take note to self. Go home and watch Matrix. <laughs> no, no, no. It's all right. It's all right. Let's not go that far. Right? Otherwise, on my account, you go and watch. <laughs> but Amin's Nahamru said so. <laughs> I know what some of you are like. That's why we like patterns. It looks nice. When you have when you do gardening at home, hmm? if you're a horticulturalist, you like it. When you see patterns, like the grass. Now, when you cut your grass, you cut it in patterns, don't you? Yeah. On, they'll have one uh, one one uh, lane that'll be cut in one direction, and the other lane cut in the other direction. When you sweep the uh, the yeah the the sand in the what do you call the valley malu? Right? You sweep it in a zigzag pattern, right? Why? Because you see the separation and it looks so nice. It looks very appealing. All this is proof that the mind wants this separation. It is because it wants to feed that, that urge for separation. The mind goes this extra mile to create that separation, to manifest that separation in this world. This process helps that happen. This process, this, 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 and this, helps the mind achieve that. That's why when the mind came into existence, or into this world, let's just talk about this lifetime, right? when this mind came into this world, this, this body, and started living, it brought along with it these five instruments to allow it to continue to do what it so wanted to do. 
which is to separate. Because using your eyes, you can separate sights. You can separate form. You can separate form. You know, if you were blind, you would only be able to see the same thing. Darkness. I don't know if a blind man from birth would actually see anything, but if you went blind now, all you would see is darkness and you'd know that you're, you're seeing darkness. You'd know that. Because the, let's assume that it's your eye that has stopped working, but, the, but your brain and the rest of it is, is functional. Now, the only thing that's not happening is signals are not being conveyed to the brain. Therefore, that part of your brain is not stimulated. Therefore, all you'd see is darkness. Would you like that? No. Not simply because it, life would be very difficult for you, but more so because you would no longer be able to feed this furnace of a mind with the fuel that is separation. So this mind has makes use of these things. That's why I call it the master and the slave. The mind uses these slaves to help it to achieve just that. That's why when you make things at home, you know, you know, go through this activity at home, folks. You know, think about it practically. When you're at home and you're, say, you're making, baking a cake or something and you're, you're putting that icing, you know, you have the icing gun right? and you go around the cake, you know, putting those little icing dots around. Think about, think, ask yourself, why am I doing this in this pattern? Because now there's a separation. Or when you put the icing down, you'll take a, a fork, won't you? And draw patterns on it. Hmm? I remember from my young days when I used to help my mother cook in the kitchen. When I saw her doing it, I wanted to do the same. So she taught me how to make those patterns on the cake. Fork and draw those patterns. What do those patterns help you do? Separate. Exactly. Exactly. They, you know, like butter cake. Right? They come in, or what do you call it? Fairy. Fairy cake? Angel cake. Ribbon cake. No, ribbon cake. No, they have different colors, right? Why? It doesn't taste any different. Right? But apparently it looks nice, right? Yeah. You've got to ask yourself why. So you see, previously when we started talking about this, we talked about drushti. What I'm saying is, the things that we talked about previously, prior to talking about it at this depth, you know, they were all part of the whole thing. We are now getting deeper and deeper and deeper along the same branches. It's not a different thing. Yes, it is all drushti in the end. It is all the view of the, that you've taken on. You know, that separation in color, those colors you found attractive. And now, but we don't stop at just saying it's green color that you like or blue color that you like or red color you like. What we're saying is let's take a step further. You like separation. And color lets you separate. What else actually does color do? Huh? Ask, answer this question in your own minds. What is the purpose of color? Does color serve any purpose other than separation? <laughs> See, how focused we are now getting at understanding the world that we live in we're not just ask, ask, trying to answer the question of how does color come into being? You know, how the light waves refract and therefore, you know, 
on the prism, they, it's different wavelengths. We've gone further than that and we are learning to ask ourselves, why does color exist? Why does such a thing as color exist? Color serves no other purpose than separation. So the eye serves no other purpose then, than separation. If the eye is connected to the mind, then you can ask the question, well, the mind, of course, then also serves no other purpose. The mind came into being to separate. But this separation is only a perception. Because everything is only a perception. That's why I'm talking about perception today. All things are perceived. Nothing else happens. Okay, now this, I dropped it on the desk. Yes, that happened on the outside, but you perceived it. The way you perceived it will be very different, Putat, to the way you perceived it, madam. To the way that you perceived it, because you'll have seen it differently. Your perceptions will be different. But you'll all say that Swaminas dropped this on the desk. That part you all perceive the same way. How it fell, the angle in which it fell, the, the noise that it, it generated. You know, that final perception is going to be different for all of you. And therefore, your memory of it will be different. That log that you put into memory, that will be different. So therefore, you will recall it differently. That's why the same event can be related by multiple people in different ways, depending on what it is that they have perceived. That's why in a court of law, you'll ask for several people to come and give evidence to make a strong case, because they'll all have perceived things differently. Now let's get one thing straight then. The purpose of the mind is to perceive, and the mind wants nothing more. So let me ask you this question then. Why does it perceive? For separation. <laughs> That's right. See, now all this time, we were working out the, what the mind does, right? We talked about the five things that the mind does. Receive, register, recognize, response, and perceive. We've been talking about this for donkey's years. Now we're asking the question, but why? So what? Why does it want to do that? And now we have the answer to that. Because until you perceive, you can't tell two, tell two things apart. You perceive this, you perceive this. Now you can say these two things are very separate entities. If the perception did not happen, you wouldn't be able to say that. If response didn't happen, if you didn't know that this was a fan and this was a duster and this you used to fan yourself, this you used to rub, you wouldn't be able to say that because the perception wouldn't be different. If you couldn't recognize them as two separate things, that this was a fan, you know, the, 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 the identity that you give this and this is a duster, you still wouldn't be able to separate them. If you weren't able to register it, again, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between two things. You wouldn't be able to separate. And finally, if you weren't able to receive from these five sense doors, yet again, you won't be able to separate. So you see now, the mind, all it does, relentlessly, from the time it started, is go through this process of separation. Separate, 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 separate. The mind tries to do that, non-stop. What the mind doesn't understand is that it's trying to separate things that are inseparable. You watched the video from this morning? Were you all there? Hmm? Put your hand up if you weren't. This morning? Oh, okay. 
So there are a few of you, right? You can put your hands down. What we showed was a, a video of how birds, seasonal behavior, right? They'll fly in patterns. Many of you may have seen this previously. How birds fly in patterns, right? They'll all make certain shapes in the sky, but they don't know that they're making those shapes. They are not there to fly in patterns. They're just there to fly. So they don't all come together, you know, call a meeting and, you know, what shall we fly today? <laughs> uh, they're not the RAF. What's the RAF? The Royal Air Force, right? Because they do these things, right? They, they do formation flying, right? To impress people. And, but, you know, those birds are not like that. They don't come together, they convene a meeting, you know, and they discuss, like, what shall we fly last week? Last week we did one, now but this week we do something else, you know, for a different, for a difference. You know, they don't do that, but they just fly. You know, their instinct guides them. So this morning we saw penguins in the sky, didn't we? Oh, the poor people on blind. <laughs> I feel for them. Penguins in the sky? In Jetanara Mihara? We should certainly come to Sri Lanka. Yes, you should come. There are penguins in the sky. <laughs> then we saw an octopus in the sky. Or a squid. Huh? And then we saw a sea camel in the sky. Then we. What were they really? Patterns. They were patterns. The birds that were flying in the sky had no intention of displaying those patterns. They were not there to do that. They were simply flying one after the other. In fact, they weren't even flying in a pattern. But it was we who looked at that and projected our patterns onto what exists out there. So it is your projection that you perceived. This happened when you were looking at that. When you, look, when you were looking at the TV screen this morning, you saw something and that was received, that was registered. Then it began to start the recognition process. You use that mental image and send it into your memory banks with the question, tell me what this is. Tell me what this is. Do I know this? That's why only on some occasions did you say, ah, oh, that's a penguin. On other occasions, you'll be just looking at that. No, no, it doesn't fit anything. But if you lived in Mars, or if you lived on Mercury, you'd have said, oh, looks just like my friend. <laughs> Why? Because had you lived there, you'd have a different set of memory log notes. Whereas here, you don't recognize those patterns. Why? Because you don't have such recognitions. You haven't labeled them as such. But when you saw the penguin, you said, there's a penguin. When you saw the platypus or the sea camel, you said, that was, the, that, was that thing. When you saw the, uh, the pipe, right? the smoke pipe, you said that was a smoke pipe. Because those are things that you have mental images of. They're in your memory bank. So that happened, that allowed you to separate, did it not? See, I'm trying to prove the point here, folks, that these things are there to serve one purpose. You know, they're not just very innocent. <laughs> your whole existence, your, you as an entity, has been perfectly designed 
perfectly designed with precision, with surgical accuracy for one purpose and one purpose alone. And that is to separate. You, all of you, as in not all of you, all of you, as in every part of you, has come into existence for one thing and one thing alone. That is to separate. Separate the inseparable. You remember from this morning's video that those things that you separated in your mind were not really separated out there. That's why at a, in, a, in a flash of a second that those formations changed. Were the birds intending on doing those things and coming up with different formations? Absolutely none. No, but you were looking at it and those formations changed because those were causes that were coming together and manifesting something in your mind. This word we use in the morning, vidyaman, right? The best word I can think of is manifestation. Right? It manifests in the mind. So it appears apparently like it exists on the outside. That is a manifestation that happens in the mind. What I'm saying is, that's okay. So I'm, I'm taking step by step. First I said, this is what's going on. Right? We talked about this. We talked about this. right? And we talked about this I allowing and helping you to separate things. And we used the example from this morning. And now I've explained to you that this separation and the, you know those birds flying in formation, they didn't really get themselves into a pattern as such. It was you who projected your patterns onto them and then said, yeah, this, 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 that, and, and the other, right? It's all fine. For you to have spotted a penguin there is okay. That's all right. I was the first to do that. I said, yeah, hey, there's a penguin. And he said, oh, yes, well, I mean, there's a penguin. <laughs> I, I, I spotted it before you had. So that's okay. The problem is not that. The problem is... If you are fooled, if you are tricked so much that you don't recognize, that you don't realize even that it's not a real penguin out there. It's just a manifestation. It's just a manifestation. There is no static penguin. So what is there, a dynamic penguin? <laughs> hmm? A penguin with happy feet? No. It's a manifestation. That's what I'm trying to say. If you don't recognize, if you don't realize that it's a manifestation, that's where you have a problem. Because you begin to convince yourself, ah, there are fixed things in this world. Fixed meaning static. Fixed meaning permanent by nature. Now, quite cautiously, but, you know, I'm beginning to think that perhaps the word impermanence can be used. <laughs> but I, I really hope you don't get the wrong idea. That's why I'm, I'm careful about this. Because the thing is this, like, we have come to learn impermanence to be something very different. That's why, you know, remember I said I don't like to use the word suffering for jati. Because suffering conjures various interpretations in your mind. So when I try to impress you with a different meaning to dukkha, to use the word suffering is less than wise. But you see, really, this word impermanence, if you give it the right meaning, if you interpret it properly, correctly, and truly, there's no problem with that. Nothing in this world is permanent. But the problem is, 
customarily we have come to learn of permanent as being something that happens to things that exist in this world that is not true this might sound like greek so i'll i'll, I'll go over it a few times okay let's make sure we are we've got a solid grounding here someone will tell me some answer don't attach yourself to this because it's impermanent one day this will be no more then you will suffer tell me isn't this how we learned impermanence originally right they said your mother your father they are impermanent so although they are here like this today right so happy and full of life one day they're going to grow old and they're going to pass away so they are impermanent therefore don't attach yourself or sever those attachments don't cling on to things because they are impermanent they will break so that gives us the impression that impermanence is something that happens to something that is that exists <laughs> i don't know how successful i have been trying to get this message across to you but i i keep trying okay so you please try as hard as i'm trying or even harder to tell you that this is impermanent is flawed hmm to tell you that this is impermanent is flawed because when i say that this is impermanent i have already yeah in the my the cogs in my head are turning like at 5000 rpm right now <laughs> trying to come up with the right words to explain this to you and not just you because you get the benefit of three sermons in a day huh you and your merits <laughs> but those poor people who are listening to this online you know this if we say that this is something that exists means this is a fixed entity the duster exists and it is to be impermanent it will suffer from impermanence impermanence is a characteristic of the duster that exists the point is now that is not right impermanence is something that has always been in that cycle at some point a duster manifests out here and also in your mind that's why you know i asked you the question of belonging we started there didn't we if you eat an apple today and it that goes on to become your nose which then after your death goes on to become fertilizer and then back again as say you know someone else's uh, crop in their home and they eat that and now that becomes part of the ear have they eaten your your nose Hmm? have they you know yes in one sense and no in another sense what matters is have you got that sense or oh, is this all nonsense <laughs> have you got that sense do you sense what i mean by this when i say this is not a duster huh but 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 so what is what is it then this is not a duster 
It is, but it isn't. It is not a fixed entity. It is not a duster and for, forever and always will be a duster. Even at this moment in time, folks, it's being a duster. Right at this moment in time, it's being a duster. There's a process that's going on right this moment in time that manifests this object as a duster. There are particles and there are, there's energy whose combination, whose working to the, together and whose unison allows the manifestation of this, which you choose to call a duster. It's not about why, you know, the choice of word. What I'm saying is, yes, what you call a duster exists here, but it doesn't exist as a fixed entity. It's a transient thing. It's an, it's, you know, impermanence is always at play here. Always. It's not like you make it and then after a while it, it, it is destroyed and therefore it's impermanent. That's not, the, that's not what it is. An infant is impermanent. Ooh, that's deep. Yeah, we, because it's a process. Guru Hamdra always says this and I want to emphasize it here. It's not that this is a hologram. You know, it's not that this is a, an illusion. This is there. But it's not fixed there. Right now, it's manifesting. This is why I remember I asked the question the other week about, you know, when I hold this pen in my hands, in my, you know, between my fingers, it wouldn't be right for you to say that this is fixed here, right? I think that you get. It wouldn't be right to say, okay, that pen is always going to be there, Swami answered. You know for a fact that it's not always going to be there. And right now it's here in this position because there are two forces acting on this at least. One upwards and one downwards. Therefore, it seems static, but it's not. And you know that if you were to plot this, the, the position of this pen against a time position graph, on the time axis, time will increment and the position will remain the same. But at t equals 1, it's here. At t equals 2, it's still here. At t equals 3, it's still here. At t equals 4, it's still here. But at t equals 1, it was here. Not because at t equals 2, it was here. What do I mean by that? Although they're the same kind of causes, it's not the same causes. Meaning, at t equals 1, it manifests itself making use of the forces that are in action that are affected on this object at that moment in time. Actually, not in moment in time, but at that moment. So these are manifestations. Therefore, when I drop this pen and I ask you at what time did I drop this, it would be wrong for you to answer that question in, an, in, an, in absolute terms. You can give me a conventional answer. One, two, three. You can say, Swaminasa, you dropped it at t equals three. That's a conventional notion. It's simply a construct that we have come up with as human beings, as conventional sentient beings, to describe things in relation to each other. Because otherwise living would be such hell. It would, it would be almost impossible to live. If you can't talk about events, in comparison and in relation to each other. It is simply because you want to say when this happened in comparison to when my fingers spread 
that's when you say at t equals 3 you read that and therefore at t equals 3 this dropped that t equals 3 was not there from the beginning it's something that we came up with later to explain events that take place in this world what really happened was this pen didn't drop at t equals 3 this pen dropped when the causes manifested that event so it's not just form but also events all things in this world sight sound smell taste touch eye ear nose tongue body mind thoughts memory receiving re- registering recognizing responding and perceiving all of these things they're all manifestations they're all manifestations of causes they're all manifestations of causes what we need to appreciate is that is just that is just a manifestation but what's the problem the problem is we don't sense it that way i'll give you an example we used in yesterday's sermon when i was discussing this with the with our some of our sami nonsense let's imagine i put you all into a dark room and let's again for a moment imagine that that's where you were born so you've never seen daylight okay you've never seen daylight so you don't know what sights are like you don't know what light is one fine day someone walks into this room and they show you something you look at it what they're showing you are pictures they have taken from the outside what are they showing you pictures or photographs okay it's not a video it's a photograph now this is the first time you've seen something other than what darkness. darkness other than darkness this is the first time you've seen something and then they tell you after having shown this to you you know what i've come from the outside and this is what is on the outside now try and understand this example from the perspective of those two people <laughs> okay the person that has come in to show you the pictures is trying to give you an impression of what is on the outside they're not intending to tell you that life outside is just static moments but life is very dynamic things happen in in a very dynamic fashion right things are in motion all the time nothing is static nothing is fixed but they didn't have a video camera to bring you all they had was a still image and they brought you still images and they show you this is here's one picture here's another picture here's another picture here's another picture and they tell you this is what happens outside now that person who's seen these pictures for the first time in their life they've never seen the world outside what tell me do you think are they going to think the world outside is like spot on people are going to that person you are going to think that the world outside is just still images that they're fixed things so even something in motion you can you'll still have to show them still images won't you like say there's a fan that's rotating you can take say tens of hundreds of pictures of that and you can come and show it to them see this is a fan oh okay so a fan is something that does this and after that it's this after that it's this after that it's this right after that it's this you would never be able to con- convey to them the concept of a clock you wouldn't be 
you won't be able to con convey to them the concept of motion. Yeah, because all they would understand is that our oh, life outside are just fixed events. In fact, there wouldn't be such a thing as an event. There would just be still images. Still. Things are still. Things are just they're still. They're just static. Because that's all they'll be exposed to. Now, you see, in the mind, although, folks, you, <clears throat> you understand that the world outside is in constant motion, okay? Although you understand that, because fortunately your eyes are only receptive to 25 frames per second and any less than that, you will be, you'll begin to see still images and anything faster than that, I think it's 23 and a half, if I'm to be more precise. Anything faster than that and you're going to see motion, motion images. That's how they developed film from still images back in the day, right? Because the, the eye and the mind and this process is, ha, does not have the definition to see things slower than that, you see things in motion, okay? Thankfully. Although this is what you see, now as I, as I wave my hand, you tell me I'm waving my hand, don't you? You, you can tell me that I'm, you know, so I'm not, you're waving your hand. But what if what you saw was this? You, you can't see the me pulling my hand back, okay? Because I, 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 <laughs> I, I can't show you exactly what I want you to, right? Okay, this, this, huh? this. If that's all you saw, you wouldn't tell me that I moved my hand. The concept of motion would cease to exist. Right? This is the same thing that has happened. In this world, all entities are in constant motion. Nothing is fixed. Everything is transient. Everything is in constant motion. Everything is always changing. Therefore, I can use the word impermanent. Everything is in constant motion, in constant change. It's ever-changing. The problem is, inside our minds, because we want separation, because if something is in constant motion, then they're not separate, are they? Right? To separate, you need stills. Hmm? To separate, you need stills. So, when the mind wants to separate, when the mind wants to stop and freeze a moment in time, why did we invent time? To, to separate. We invented time to separate. Did we talk about this last week, I think, in the morning? Yeah, and sometime in the afternoon as well. We invented time to separate things. You know, life is in constant motion, but we wanted to be, to be able to say, you know, in this time, so therefore separate a slice of time, a slice of history, a slice of... What goes on? You want to separate, right? So when the mind wants this separation so badly, but yet it, things are inseparable, now the mind has to do what baby Natasha's mother had to do, which is the only way that the mind can give the get the impression, get the perception, perceive that things are separate, is if it goes mad. So, if that's the only option, then let's all go mad. You don't need my invitation for that. <laughs> You're doing a fine job just by yourselves. 
Right, that's why this is the mental asylum. Jaitanya hmm? Ram Vihari is a, is a mental asylum. The problem is it's mad people who are trying to help other mad people. Because <laughs> right, none of us are completely cured yet. Right? So we are, we are helping, mad people are helping even more mad people to come out of their madness. <laughs> so, so when the mind wants that separation, now we've established, right, these things came into being for the purpose of separation, otherwise you wouldn't need any of these things, right? You wouldn't need this. Why does this, why does this microphone need this sponge bit here? Why does it need this clip here? Why does it need this arm here? Why does it need an on-off button? Why does it need this cable here? Huh? Why does it need this connector? You know for a fact that all these things are here because it's here to serve a purpose. It's their culmination, they're coming together in the right order, in the right fashion, in the right sequence that allows the microphone to serve its purpose, right? In much the same way, if you look at these things, you can come to the conclusion, ah, something's fishy. You know what? Separation is going on. Yes or no? Look at this process and tell me what's going on here. What's going on here? Separation. You can look at a process and tell me what the output is. You can look at the output and tell me what the process is. That's called reverse engineering. Here you can look at the process. None of these things would be necessary if separation wasn't the objective. But when separation is the objective, you can't do without any of these things. You can't do without the eye. You can't do without light. <laughs> you can't do without any of these things. So the mind came into existence to separate. So coming back to that example I gave you earlier about the still images, when the mind wants to separate, right? And we know this now, that's all the mind wants, separation. Yet it's trying to separate things which are inseparable because they're all the same. You know, it's all in a constant motion. It's the same stuff, just different stages. That's it. And these different stages, stages are also things that we have delineated. They're not really there. They're not really separate. We have, brought, we have drawn those boundaries. We drew those boundaries. The mind that wishes to separate drew those boundaries. Those boundaries don't exist. You know, is there a boundary between water and ice? Is there? No, there is no boundary. The substance does not know that now it's ice and now it's water and now it's vapor. It doesn't know that. So it doesn't aim to go there. It doesn't try to become ice. Ice doesn't try to become water. There's no, there's no intention behind that. There's no deliberate activity behind that. But you can separate those things because you have a mind that can separate. And when that mind wishes to separate things which are inseparable, then the only option that is left is this insanity mode. And when insanity mode kicks in, it kicks in to save, this life, save the mind. It saves the mind by giving it the perception, by giving it the perception that it is now a separate entity. That is, the, that is the result of jati. Jati is really another word for the mind going mad. That is what jati is. So therefore, that's why I don't want to use the word suffering. Suffering is, you know, worlds apart from madness, right? Very different things. That's why let's use the word jati. So what jati is, is the mind going mad when the mind wishes to separate. I have proved to you the point that this whole world has come into being led by an intention to separate. 
Why so much? Why separation? Why nothing else? Why is it separation that the mind wants? Because that is what the mind was indoctrinated long, 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 long time ago. Not in Bethlehem. Right? Long, 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 long time ago. When the mind was at somehow. Again, that's, we, we have, that's another point. We don't know where it all happened. Why? You know, where did that indoctrination come from? We don't know just yet. Perhaps in future we'll find out the answer to that. But it's not what we're looking for. Because, you know, someone shot you a poisoned arrow. Let's not waste our time figuring out who shot it. Where did it come from? Right? What's the most important thing to figure out now? How to cure it, how to get it out of your system, right? So somehow, somewhere it started. Somehow, somewhere this arrow came. Somehow, somewhere the mind got indoctrinated. That separation was the dumb thing. It's the thing to do. And that it was pleasurable. It was joyful. And that this world is separable. Here we talk about essenceless. We've talked about this asar, right? Essenceless and essence full and essenceless. You can now start to put more depth, put more definition into these words. So this essenceless or essence full, which would be the opposite of that, is actually separableness. You know, when you try to, do you, you know this... Uh, Soup, uh, cubes, not soup cubes, but just cubes of uh, essence, essence of chicken, something like that. Yeah, right. What is that? When you say something is the essence of something, what have you done to get that? You've ext you extracted, right? In other words, you've separated, right? Yes. So you take apple juice, and how do you get apple juice? Yeah, concentrate. How do you get that? Concentrate, madam. Concentrate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you take the apple, make it make it pulp, right? And then you put it through a process, and in the end, you get the juice out of it. And you can take that is the essence of the apple. Meaning, you have gone through a separation process to take what you believe. What you think, because, you know, it is for you and I that the apple juice is the thing that is essenceful. Perhaps to the earthworms, it's the left, it's the leftovers. Or maybe if you've got livestock, right, and you want to feed them, it's not the apple juice. They, they don't drink apple juice, but you can give them the, the, the rudiment of that. And that they can consume. That will be their food. So that will be what, what is essenceful to them. For us, what is essenceful is... The juice, right? In the same way, when the mind wishes to separate, the mind tries to get the essence out of vipaka. Because it thinks that that which can be separated is the essence of it. I'm really struggling here to, get, to convey this, my, my thoughts to you. I, hope, I think I'll get better at it the more times I keep doing this, right? So bear with me and you keep get betting, get betting at her. <laughs> getting better, thank you. You keep getting better at listening to this and trying to understand this, okay? And I'll keep getting better at explaining this, right? So you and I, we can, we can work this out, all right? So it's the essence that 
the mind wishes to extract because the mind thinks that is essenceful. Whereas in truth, there is no essence in it. There is no essence to extract because all of it is the same. That's why it's something inseparable, but the mind believes that there is essence to be taken here. That's why you do that. You know, imagine there was an apple or a plastic apple. Would you try to get juice out of it? No. Hmm? Or an apple that was just the outside and the inside was, you know, say, worms had eaten it. And it was just the shell on the outside. Or say, wood apple. That's a good example, right? Inside, sometimes wood apple, there's nothing in there. Okay, it's just the outer shell. Would you try and get, if you knew this, would you try and get the essence out of it? No. Because you know its essence less. So, like that, when the mind can somehow one day understand that this is all just the same, there is no such thing that is more valuable or more important or more special than the rest of it. The mind stops trying to find essence. And that is what anatta means. Essenceless. There is nothing that is of essence to be extracted from here. Because it's all the same. So separation is simply the mind, a mad mind, an insane mind, and its effort to, to try and please its undying need, this, this, this urge, this hunger that it has inside to satisfy itself. Does that make sense to you all of you? Hmm. Ah. As in all this? In the same process. You mean one? You think you, uh, do you mean say like yourself or all yeah, these people here? The same person? Then. All right. Okay. So, the thing is this: there was never a his mind or a my mind. They were just minds. So the the good gentleman is asking, why did the mind come into being? Hmm? Why are there minds? Because if you answer the question, why one mind, then you have the answer to why several minds. Right? That's the same answer, right? Why one of this? Same reason. Right? Same concept, right? One is the same reason why you need to have more of it. So why did one mind come into being? We don't have the answer to that yet. That's what I'm saying. Somehow, somewhere, some point in time. Because here's the thing, right? For this to have happened, ignorance should have come in. So then you have to ask, did ignorance come first or did the mind come first? Right? For the mind to be ignorant, then ignorance should have come. But then for the mind to ignorance to have come, the mind should have come. Chicken and egg back there. And so, please be patient. Please bear with us while we get back to you on that. But I, I sometimes feel that in, not in our lifetime I'll be able to find an answer to that question. Okay, and, and, and hopefully you're okay with that. Hmm? Hopefully you're okay with that. Because uh, the truth is, finding the answer to that question does not treat the problem. Therefore, we are okay with that. You know, sometimes Guru Andhra and I, we know we come get into some discussions, and sometimes I keep asking questions and become pain in the backside to him. And then he says, you know what, leave it, leave it, leave it, leave it. Later, later, later. Hello? What is? Perception. Perception. 
Perception is mental. Perception is mental. Again? Yeah, absolutely. So perception is a phenomenon. And it's the mind that perceives. In fact, it would, technically speaking, it's wrong to say that it's the mind that perceives because perception is the mind. <laughs> That's why I didn't say it. Araman, Vijanan, Lakhanan, Chitta is the Buddha's description of the mind. This is how he defines the mind. The mind is perception. Right? All this together is the mind. You can't separate this from the mind. Therefore, you can't say, here's the mind and now the mind is going to do this. This is the mind. It's like you can't separate water falling from the sky and rain, right? You can't say, okay, rain is now going to fall from the sky. You can't say that because that process is rain. Yeah? This is the mind. So the, really the mind is a process. Mind by definition is a process. It is the nature, it's the characteristic of all these things taking place. So the mind came into being for these, that's the thing, did this happen first or did that happen first? This is there for this and this is there for that. So now they mutually support each other. Vipaka, again Vipaka, this is also Vipaka. But, you know, Vipaka in itself did not bring this thing you know, did not start this thing off. It was not the ignition. Somewhere ignorance should have come in. And then as a result of ignorance, attachment should have crept in. And as a result of ignorance, attachment, this wanting or wish to separate should have crept in. And at that point, this happened. And then from there on it evolved. Then eye came to being, sight came to being, ear came to being, sound came to being, nose came to being, taste came to being, tongue came to being, you know, and so on and so forth. That's why, you know, when you were in the formless sphere, you, don't, you didn't have much of these things. You didn't have a physical body, you didn't have a tongue or a nose in the formless sphere. And then you kept coming down, descending, right? And until you stopped, you know, right on the edge, right? Of the place where we don't want even to be talking about, right? Right on the edge. Right? And then fortunately you met Guru Swami Nuhanze. And now he's helping you to trace your steps back and... Go into the ether. <laughs> Madam, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. Connects what? Disturbed. The disturbed mind. Disturbed. What What do you mean by disturbed mind? Uh-huh. You mean anxiousness and things like that? Yeah. Of course. Yeah, the mind cannot exist without this. Excuse me. Because as I said, the mind is this, right? The distinction that the good lady wishes to, I think, establish here is this is a normal process. This is a normal process because it is driven by Vipaka. Therefore, this is not what we're trying to stop. But as you say, the mind can be disturbed. The mind can be disturbed because of klesha, mental defilements. Okay? Those defilements, at their most basic level, we can define as the mind's wish to separate. Hmm? The mind's wish to separate. Because that is why the mind is disturbed. You are disturbed when something that you don't like happens, right? 
That's because you see a separation between what you like and what you don't like. You know, you don't like this blue. That's because you have separated this from one that is red, which maybe you do like. So therefore, when I show you the blue one, you're disturbed. So if that separation didn't happen in the mind, in, in, in other words, you know, that sense of separation, it's not the perception of separation, but rather the sense of separation. So I'm, I'm now, you know, this happens for Radha Nuanze. Radha Nuanze will say, this is blue and this is a duster. He can say that because he can sense that, right? But that internal, that, you know, the sense of self we talked about, a, a, a sense of separation that is permanent, that is fixed, that is static. Right? It is, this is a duster and this is blue and this will never be red or it will never be anything else. Right? That fixed manifestation, that is where the problem is. Why that happens is because the mind wishes to do that unto itself and to feed that process, it projects that separation on the, into the outside world. So how does that disturbed mind connect to all of this? The mind is here the moment you start talking about this. So in addition to the mind, you have this disturbed mind, right? How does it get disturbed when it does not like or when it has preferences for these things? Why preferences? Separation. You know, before, before uh, differences can happen or preferences can happen, you need to have separation, right? You prefer, uh, say, you know, a cool drink to a cup of tea. Why? You can't prefer two th one thing from the other if you can't tell the two things apart, can you? I'm not saying that a Radha Nuance does not know the difference between a cold drink and a, and, a, and a hot tea. To him though, although they are perceived as two different things, internally, he does not see them as fixed entities that are never changing, that are, you know, it's a difficult concept to get across that, you know, this is a, a static, you know, what he understands, let me tell you what he understands rather than telling you what he doesn't understand because, you know, that is not the truth. <laughs> I suppose that's the best way to do it. To talk about what really exists rather than trying to tell you what doesn't exist, right? What he understands is that this is all a process. That this is all a process. It's a transient process. It's, a, it's an impermanent process, it's an ever-changing process, it's a very dynamic process. And in that process, things manifest. So a tea is the same as a cool drink. He'll see, he'll see, he can tell the difference, he can smell the difference, he can taste the difference. But internally, he doesn't sense them as being entirely different entities. Hmm? Perceive, yes. He doesn't perceive them as entirely different entities. Means he doesn't he doesn't perceive them as separate. But the problem is this, you know, then you know, you'll ask a question. So you're telling me a Ratanwase cannot separate a cool drink from a tea? No, he can. We are talking about an internal yeah, yeah. The third dimension, dimension, yes. So then I have to explain what this dimension story is. It is a different paradigm, different thinking pattern, different perspective, different approach, 
These are just words, I know. <laughs> I think that's why the best way to get this across is to use various metaphors, various similes and various examples to try and say, you know, you understand this. Okay, this is like that. I think that's the best way I can, I can get this across to you. So like the, the water and the ice, that, that's a metaphor to help you understand, or rather a simile to help you understand this separation. You know that ice and water are separate things, but you also know that they're the same thing, right? Yeah, you get that? They're the same thing. That's why they're not inseparable. They're not permanently inseparable. Because in the life cycle of the ice, there is water. In the life cycle of water, there's ice. So when you look at some ice, you can say that's water in the making. When you look at water, you can say that's ice in the making. Right? Like that, there's a separation that is perfectly fine and there's a separation that is not fine. If you were to think, you know, imagine you had no knowledge of how ice and water are the same thing, that is just water molecules at the end of the day with energy, different amounts and varying amounts of energy. Imagine you didn't know that. You know, let's say when you were much younger, as a child, you didn't know that, ignorant about this. Then you would say, that's ice and this is water. Think about the first time you, you took some ice from the freezer. And the first time you saw that with no understanding that this was water that went in there, you'd have thought, ah, that's ice, this is water. Very separate things. Yeah, I, I just want to imagine this. Just picture yourself not knowing that these are the same thing. Just try and get yourself into that mindset. Now you see that they're very separate things, right? Like you can tell these two, these two things are very separate things, right? In the same way, you would have thought to yourself that ice and water are very separate things, but later on you realize, no, it's just the same thing, but a different manifestation, a different manifestation. Now, in the same way, the same way, madam, Radhan Vanze can tell two things apart, like you can tell ice and water apart, but you know, that under the bonnet, they're the same thing. They're the same thing. Like that the Radhan Vansi understands that everything in this universe is ultimately the same thing. All minds are the same. That's why I asked you this question before. Oh, good Lord. It's almost 11.30. Right, I'll ask you this question and we'll conclude there, okay? Two Radhan Vansis, Okay. I bring them onto the stage, two Rathan says. And we tell, we have to give them some bad news. Okay, we have to give them some bad news. The bad news is, Venerable Sir, we're sorry to bring this news to you, but unfortunately we have to. One of you will have to become a non-Arahant. Okay? I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hypothetical situation, right? One of you will have to become a non-arahant and go back to being either a, a seker or maybe a prutakjana. Okay? With jati happening back in the mind again and therefore the 11 great fires and all what you've done so far to become an arahatanvanse, you're going to scrap all that. One of you will have to do that. One of you. Who are we speaking to? Two arahatanvanses. We ask them, please... Can you tell us between yourselves, discuss among yourselves and nominate who it's going to be? Who do you think is going to step forward? 
because to them it's the same because they don't feel that it is i who has become a rahadan mansur so to them it does not matter which mind suffers because ultimately it's just a mind that suffers the if i were to ask the two, two of you the same question hi <laughs> the first one to come and stand here i'm going to make a rahadan mansur right there will be a huge commotion here right because right now you feel that i want to become a rahatan wahanse becoming a rahatan wahanse is dropping that i part that is what happens when you become a rahatan wahanse so therefore to ask a rahatan wahanse you know unfortunately sir one of you has to become an honorahant to them they would feel absolutely no problem with which mind has to step forward to do that so they'll say you know if you have to if you must uh, it's a shame if you have to do it to either of these two minds but if you must then it's your pick sir you make your pick you know we feel no differently about either of your choices because to them they don't feel that i have become an arahant becoming an arahant is just that that sensation of i that sensation of self that is what they have dropped no 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 <laughs> not today i need to send you off to <laughs> madam perceiving what hmm no 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 it's not perceiving anything the mind doesn't perceive a self the mind perceives this mind perceives this 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 that and that so it's able to tell apart a flower from you know a bird right a bird from a bee and uh, this sound from another sound right it's able to perceive all that because that person perception is all to do with vipaka what it doesn't perceive is a separation it will separate the flower from the bird that is normal separation but there's an abnormal separation and that abnormal separation is that you know that fixed that's why i'm trying to give you as i said similes to try and help you understand because i can't find a word to to ex- ex- exactly express it you know it's that identity self of identity your identity you have never felt is the same as another person have you you've never felt you could maybe be another person and that never happens because you have that sense of identity so what if you didn't have a sense of identity now everything is the same it is your identity that sets you apart from someone else am i not right yeah but that sense of identity is a creation of the mind gone insane because such identity does not exist what exists are sight sound smell taste touch ear nose tongue body da 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 and then receive register recognize response and perceive this is what really exists this is vipaka nowhere here is room for the sensation of an identity for an identity to be identity to be sensed you need two other factors to creep in one ignorance and two immediately followed by that is attachment and when those two things come in right because ignorance is the ignorance that things can be separated what you sense as an identity ladies and gentlemen is that you are separate from something and someone else yes or no yes that is your identity yeah you think you're unique that is your uniqueness is your identity that is your sense of identity 
That's why you don't like for someone to, you know, use the same name or for someone to, you know, maybe look like you. You want to be different from the other person. You, 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 you find it precious, your, your sense of identity. You want to preserve it. You're, I'm a different human being. Look, see, this is my thumbprint. This is my fingerprint. This is my iris print. This is my blood type. This is my family. This is my house. This is my village. This is my home. This is my job. This is where I live. This is my wife. This is my husband. These are my children. All of these things. These are called jati dharma. These are things that you use to fuel the furnace of separation. Because you want to feel this separation from everything and everyone else. Because you want to sense this identity, this sense of identity. You keep on living life trying to find things to keep on pumping into this furnace that keeps the light, this flame of separation alive. That is what we do as existence. And that is what causes the 11 great fires from then on. Because mother became your mother. That's when the problem happened. Because before your mother came, you came. Hmm? You came. Therefore, I am very different to everyone else. I am an identity. I am a self. Therefore, this mother is my mother. Now, if something happens to my mother, that is also something happening to me. That's why we are bringing this all down to that point of separation. Because it's all based and rooted there. Understood? Right. Plenty for today. Right? Let's wrap it up. And uh, send you off to get your arms. Okay. <clears throat> Let us take a moment then to transfer the message that we have all acquired. By chanting the in infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, listening to the Dhamma, preaching the Dhamma, chanting Pirit, and engaging in various meritorious deeds today, first and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in the presence or and in the receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. And with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through, gen through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand, and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us transfer these merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha, present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us transfer these merits to Guru Swami Nuhanse as well as all the other teachers resident at this monastery, and the monks, Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them. And may, through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plane, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also transfer merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those of you who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well wishes. May to the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sad, sad, sad. 
Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews, nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped us, supported us, assisted us in any way, shape or form. And by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer means to the devas, brahmas, spirits, and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambhu Sasana. Let us also transfer merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. May through the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us, to all those who have been families, friends, and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in Sansara, and to those who have helped, supported, and assisted us along the way. Let us transfer these merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation. And may those who have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us transfer merits to those who have lost their lives in natural calamities such as the tsunamis, earthquakes, landslides, pandemics, forest fires, and so on. Reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in Sansara. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to them. May through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, let us all resolve that may through the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land. And may by the power of all the merits we have acquired today, you and I, and everyone who's made this helped make this program a success, become Arahatan Nuhanse, Arahat Teranin Nuhanse, in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sad, sad, sad. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all forever. Members of the Mahasangha, do not transfer their blessings to you. <coughs> Sapper, 
తరుణువానికి సూసి అనంత మహాగుణ బెలెన్ శీలలోక శీల సత్యోమ నిబ్బాను పరమ సుఖేన సుఖితరవే సాధు సాధు సాధు